When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So here we are then, it's the start of another week and everything in the garden would appear, on the face of it at least, to be rosy. Boris Johnson has put Labour to the sword, Sir Keir Starmer has reshuffled the shadow cabinet but nobody really cares, apart from all the people that he's fired. Uh, and apparently we can prepare to hug someone in seven days' time. Really? Is that the best of it? This weekend was predictably schizophrenic, while motorists on Britain's roads were still being told in huge signs on every single gantry that you drive past to minimise travel, right? There were 73,000 people crammed into the AT&T Stadium in Texas to watch Saul Canelo Alvarez beat up Britain's Billy Joe Saunders in eight rounds of a boxing match. And as football stadiums remained empty here, there were thousands of people queuing up at Heathrow waiting to get back into the country. I tweeted out a picture a little bit earlier on. I wonder where all these people are coming from. It's supposed to be illegal to travel, right? Apparently it's also illegal to hug anyone. It's also illegal to do anything inside a pub. But that doesn't seem to be quite working out, does it? Because the disconnect between government policy and what is now reality is at an all-time high. Pubs across the country are operating as if they are fully open. I saw dozens of people queuing for the toilets inside a pub on Friday because, after all, the toilets are inside the pub. They might as well have been actually standing at the bar drinking because they were standing at the bar queuing. What's the difference? Exactly. And the idea that people have to wait another seven days before they can officially go inside is ridiculous, isn't it? They're already inside. So, you know, can somebody help me here? Up first this morning is Dr. Rakiba San with his take on why the working class has deserted Labour. But I also want to ask this question, because everybody's very excited about Tracy Brabin winning uh, the mayoralty of West Yorkshire. But why on earth do we need a mayor for West Yorkshire? What's that all about? 0344-499-1000 is the number. Coming up later on, we're joined by Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday. He'll tell us why Labour should have seen it all coming a very long time ago. And it goes all the way back uh, to the Dark Lord, Peter Mandelson and Hartlepool, of course. And we'll be asking why the trains don't work properly in this country, despite hundreds of millions of pounds of taxpayers' money being spent on them. Apparently, there's cracks in the trains, which we bought from Japan. Yeah. I don't get it either. 0344 As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. Are you obeying all of the rules or are you simply 
just going through the motions and not really doing anything like obeying the rules. You are our eyes and ears, so tell us what you're seeing, what you're doing. We'll tell everyone else what is going on out there. We'll also be talking about the teaching profession and just how left-wing it has become. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest-growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So welcome to yet another week, very exciting week actually, because guess what? We here at the Independent Republic are making a dramatic return to the tent of shame down on College Green. We're going to be there tomorrow. Uh, We're dusting it down just as we speak. All the engineers are down there setting us up. We're going to be down there along with Sky, uh, along with the BBC, uh, along with some other people that we don't like to mention, along with all sorts of international news organisations, because it is officially the state opening parliament. Now, I think I'm right in saying that Prince Charles is actually going to do it this time for the first time, uh, and the Queen may not be in attendance, but there'll be high security, there'll be loads of politicians knocking around, there'll be all kinds of commentators to talk to, uh, and we'll also be taking your calls, of course, as well. But let's kick off this week uh, with a bang. Dr. Rakib Hassan is here, independent expert in British public attitudes. He's got a great deal of interest in a great deal of of parts of the Labour Party and why it isn't working. He wrote a piece at the weekend as to why uh, the Labour Party has been deserted by the working classes, but that's not their only problem. Rakib, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. I mean, that couldn't have gone worse, could it, for old uh, Sir Keir Starmer? There were people on uh, various radio stations last night trying to make out that Tracy Brabin winning uh, the mayor's race in West Yorkshire uh, was somehow um, a bit of a softening of the blow. But I don't really think that matters, does it? I mean, Hartlepool was a big one. I think that the elections, by and large, were a complete disaster for for the Labour Party. As you say, the Hartlepool by-election, we discussed it in the weeks uh, building up to that Mm. election, that Labour were running the risk of losing a seat that it had won consecutively on 14 occasions Mm. uh, since its creation. It was soundly beaten in the Hartlepool by-election, and there were plenty um, of elections up and down the country. The Labour suffered devastating results, Mike. They were were thrashed in the Tees Valley mayoral election, Labour Party, the Labour Party might be one that gains uh, Chipping Norton, but it lost control of Durham County Council for the first time in nearly 100 years. Yes, absolutely um, right. And failed, Liam yeah. Byrne failed in his attempt to become mayor as well. Absolutely. They lost in the West Midlands uh, mayor election. When you look at the council elections uh, in the Midlands, uh, the, uh, the Tories gained control of uh, Nottinghamshire County Council. The local Labour leader there lost his own seat. Uh, the Amber Valley in Derbyshire, which was pre- uh, previously Labour run, the Conservatives gained control of the council. And what was really interesting was that the local Labour leader there, uh, he said that the voters had let him and the party down, mm. which is quite a, quite an astonishing response. Well, this was the same uh, narrative they tried to push on everybody back in 2019, mm. wasn't it? That it was actually the voters' fault that they didn't understand the arguments, even mm. though they liked the arguments. They didn't vote for them uh, for some bizarre reason that they didn't want to see them being put into action. It was a very odd reaction to losing an election, wasn't it? No, absolutely. And I think it's, it's that kind of patronising condescension, which is why Labour's relationship with traditional um, blue-collar working-class communities it is in the doldrums. Mm. And, and there's no getting away from that. Following the disastrous general election result back in December 2019, Labour's central task was to rebuild its relationship with, the, with its pro-Brexit former traditional heartlands. So far, it is failing spectacularly, which comes as no surprise to me at all, because mm. they really haven't had that serious period of introspection. 
they haven't really made an effort um, in, in doing that. And that was demonstrated, to be honest, by the candidate selection for the Hartlepool by-election. They selected an arch-remainer, Dr. Paul Williams. Yeah. I mean, surely they... reject Mike, he was already rejected by the people of Stockton South yes. back in December 2019. Exactly right. And I mean, there were any number of reasons why they could have withdrawn him because he got himself involved in that rather ridiculous sort of mm. spat about something he'd said on Twitter many years before. So they could have easily withdrawn him and used that as an excuse rather than putting up a remainer in, in the most Brexity seat in Britain. Britain, you know, I mean, I can't imagine what their thought process was. It's remarkable. Hartlepool voted 70% leave. Yeah. Well, what we'll do, we'll stand Dr. Paul Williams, who's already been rejected. If he's not good enough for the people of Stockton South, why would he be good enough for the people mm. of Hartlepool? Right. That's what I'd ask. Exactly right. Um, and an interesting yeah. point just off to the side, we'll come back to Hartlepool in a second, but Kingsley sure. sent me this tweet saying, if Labour are now the party of the middle class and the working people are now voting Conservative with the red wall collapsing, how long can the union stay affiliated to and funding the Labour Party, a party the membership don't think represents them? It's a very interesting point, that, because if the if the unions suddenly start to see that they are no longer being represented properly by Labour Party policies because they're now having to shift themselves somewhere away, even further away from the left to get back to a sort of Blairite model, you know, where does that leave the unions? Well, I, I think that's a very interesting point. And you see this great Brexit uh, realignment mm. where you, you probably have a growing number of trade unionists either voting for or indeed in the Conservative Party. Right. And I think that's a very interesting shift in our broader socio-political culture mm. uh, in Britain. So I think I, I think that's a fantastic point. I think one thing that was really interesting, you, 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 the victories for the, for the Labour Party, you know, the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough uh, mayoral election, gains in counties such as uh, West Sussex, Oxfordshire uh, and Kent. But if, if you really see it, Labour, the story even in southern England is pretty bleak mm. um, for the for the Labour Party, Mike. They struggled in two southern port cities in the former Southampton and Plymouth. Plymouth. In fact, they lost control of Southampton City Council and now the Tories have gained overall control. Mm. Uh, they lost control of Plymouth uh, Council. Uh, while that's no overall control, I believe that the Conservatives are the largest party on um, Plymouth Council yeah. now. And they also lost seats. They're no longer the largest party in Milton Keynes, and they lost a good number of seats to the Conservatives in Ipswich as well. So let's not pretend. We talk about these blue wall narratives that or Labour can really make headway in southern England. I don't really see it that way at all. Hmm. The results suggest otherwise. I was having, as you can imagine, as I'm sure you were, a few conversations about this over the weekend. And it's almost as though the proper opposition in this country now is not actually on the opposition benches in the House of, House of Commons. It's in Scotland uh, with the SNP. It's in Wales hmm. with Labour and Mark Drakeford, uh, and in Northern Ireland, uh, it's also, you know, there with Sinn Féin, perhaps. And so, all, in a way, we've got a sort of divided nation where mm. all the governments in each of the countries that had elections did quite well, didn't they? Yeah, I, I, th I think that that's very interesting, where you see the the, the English, Scottish, Welsh, and Northern, uh, Northern Irish electorates. There's, there's, there's significant differences um, bet between, between the four. Mm. And I think what we really need to discuss now, we're, we're talking about, you know, post-Brexit Britain, how we can strengthen the ties between the uh, between the home nations. And that is certainly challenging when you have those different political trajectories uh, across the four home nations. One thing that's very clear is that Eng England is very much becoming, it's near enough, becoming a one-party yeah. Well, I mean, as as are as are Scotland and Wales. I mean, we, we've we've sort of found ourselves with three parts of the United Kingdom with one party states, all with each different party. 
Uh, and I think that that makes the well, c- considering in Scotland in particular, the, the the dominant party there is a separationist party, yeah, uh, an anti-unionist party. Uh, I think I think that really makes the challenge of strengthening our union in post-Brexit Britain extremely difficult. Mm. It really does. And as far as the way that Starmer has handled all of this, I mean, it could have gone mm. um, uh, not much worse for him, but he didn't exactly respond terribly well. And I'm told that there was a lot of turmoil over the weekend because he was trying to fire certain people. Some people wouldn't take it. Other people were making um, sort of representations on behalf of others. Lisa Nandy's name was in the frame and apparently she somehow managed to pull herself back from the brink. Angela Rayner's been been kicked out. Uh, Annalisa mm. Dodds has been kicked out. What do you make of him bringing in uh, new blood? Well, uh, uh, putting in new blood is a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I, th- I think his re- reaction, I mean, one minute he's saying he takes full responsibility uh, for the Well, you know, there's no surprise there. He's the leader of the party, right? Uh, well, uh, not just that. He was the chief architect of the second referendum policy, which right. is really, you know, spurred on this great Brexit realignment. And, it, and it's immensely difficult for Labour to reconnect with the pro-Brexit provinces mm. when it's led by someone who was the chief architect of the second referendum policy and represents a North London seat that voted 73% remain. Mm. Uh, but, but in terms of it's going to take a lot more than high profile sackings and a shadow cabinet reshuffle for Labour to revive its electoral fortunes. It needs to really engage with voters that it's lost yeah. in its former traditional heartlands. And at the moment, it's just not doing that. And also, it's not looking too good for the next by-election, right? I'm not quite sure when that's going to happen, but Tracy Braben's seat's now up for grabs, you know, which, of course, used to be Joe Cox's old seat. Also a big uh, a big um, Brexit voting area. You know, what are they going to do there? Well, I, I think that was, it was remarkable that people were celebrating the victory um, in the West Yorkshire mayoral election. Uh, I don't think it's actually that good news for Labour because of what that has done. It's going to create... Uh, a by election in uh, Batley and Spen. Yeah. And if, if you look at Batley and Spen, Batley and Spen, the, the, the constituency, if I remember correctly, it, vote, it delivered a leave vote of 60%. Yeah. Um, Labour's majority in that seat is not very large. It's a few thousand, isn't it? And yeah, and I, and I think the one thing that I saw from the, the, these latest round of elections is that the Tories are quite successful in hoovering up pro Brexit votes. Yes. Um, whether it's from pro-Brexit independence, UKIP is pretty much done as a political force. Yes, um, and Reform it, UK didn't do particularly well either, did it? It really didn't, and I think you look at the Hartlepool by-election, uh, Reform UK, which is essentially the name of the Brexit party following a rebranding exercise, mm. it, 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 its vote share collapsed. I think that, in fact, in the Hartlepool by-election, it won less votes than the Heritage Party. Yeah. Heritage Party won 1.6% of the uh, vote. Uh, I think the Reform UK was 1.2%. Yes. So I think the Tory strategy really is, is to provide this spirit of Brexit optimism, you could say. Mm. And they'll be looking to hoover up um, pro-Brexit voters, uh, you know, in, in places such as Batley and Spen. And I think that Labour really got their work cut out. Um, yeah. in that by-election coming up. Let's just talk a little bit about this mayoralty of, uh, of West Yorkshire because I'm told it was a, there, there was a sort of public consultation. A few thousand people voted in favour of having a mayor. But it's a very odd one, isn't it? Because it seems to be that the area they're talking about is an area that covers kind of a few different councils and about four or five different towns, including Leeds. It's not very clear what that job is, is it? I think that's a problem, uh, Mike. When you look at the, the areas that they cover, there's not that kind of singular, cohesive identity 
which you want essentially in uh, in those kinds of democratic exercises. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of mayors, but I can see why London, Manchester, you mm. know, Liverpool, Newcastle, I can see why those cities have them. I can't see why an area which covers different towns has them has one. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it depends on how cohesive and how much of a shared identity those areas have. Yeah. I think the one thing that was slightly encouraging, you see overall the turnout isn't very hot. It no. isn't particularly impressive for these elections. I think the one thing that's slightly encouraging is that in a number of these mayoral elections, the turnout increased um, uh, from the previous elections. Right. And I hope it does continue in that trajectory, because if you really want these to be healthy democratic exercises, you do want the turnout to be on a consistently... Well, you do. Trajectory. But my, my worry about it is it's just yeah. another layer of bureaucracy. And I put a question out last night saying, can anyone tell me what the point of this of this is? And most of the comments were negative. I, 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 that, that comes as no surprise to me at all. I think that a, a number of voters, I think that's ultimately is down to those um, mayoral election candidates and those mayors to really engage with the local communities mm. across the area that they're, that they're in charge of. But it comes as it, it, it doesn't surprise me that people just see this as a you know additional layer of bureaucracy and they don't they don't quite relate to it or understand why it exists. Right. And let's talk about Sadiq Khan finally, Rakeem, because he had a bit of a scare. I mean, my show finished at one o'clock on Friday mm. um, and I got a call from somebody down at City Hall. Um, uh, sorry, at the Excel Centre where the count was going on. So you're not going to believe this. Um, but, but Sean Bailey and Sadiq Khan are neck and neck. Um, and it's uh, and it's 35 percent of the vote counted. And it was a real scare for Sadiq. I mean, he ended up winning by about four points, but that was nothing like his last um, victory, was it? Well, I, I think the the result very much suggests that Sadiq Khan, uh, even though he was re-elected, he's not the much-loved and much-adored figure that he is. No. That's something um, in the capital. I think that the the mayor of London, all too often, he's tried to uh, he's tried to use this US-style cultural politics to deflect attention away from his fundamental mismanagement of London, and I think that plan is somewhat backfired because his margin of victory was far lo was notably lower than expected. Yeah. Uh, and I think more generally, Mike, if I could just make this point, it does show that, you know, Labour's problems, it's not just something that's being experienced in northern post-industrial mm. towns or the provincial midlands and or left behind coastal constituencies. They're having a problem in the cities as well. And, and, and these cities, you know, cities such as Derby and Wolverhampton, that these are multi-ethnic, religiously diverse cities that yeah. Labour are falling behind in. And I think that it just really shows that it, it really is losing ground in different types of locations mm. and areas across the country. And, I mean, Keir Starmer is going to try to make out that he's now learning lessons from whatever it was that he's supposed to be learning lessons from. He's only been in charge since last April, la 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 But, I mean, he's had mm. plenty of opportunities to reshape the party if he wanted to. Um, people have said, oh, it's been difficult for him because of the pandemic and he's more or less had to go along with government policy and he can't really do anything on his own. I disagree. I think he could have made himself look a much more um, dynamic character by actually coming up with some different policies, which would still be, even if they were locked down, sympathetic, you know, but, but he just hasn't done anything. Well, but I think ultimately he, he's, a, he's, a, he's dull, he's uninspiring. Uh, I think, that, you know, one of his first... Um, one of his first actions you know, that after these disastrous election results came through was sacking 
Angela Rayner as campaign's coordinator. I thought one of the most damning moments on the campaign trail is when he got chucked out apart. Yeah, by a and particularly, particularly where where he was seen to say to the guy, "I don't, I won't take any lectures from the likes mm. of you." Well, maybe he should have done. Well, I, I think I think there that was a classic case of you know he's he's told. Um, by a lifelong Labour voter that, you know, the, 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 you know, the lockdown, it's been terrible for many businesses in the hospitality sector. To end that exchange by saying, I don't need to take lessons from you when mm. it comes to the, you know, when it comes to COVID-19 pandemic, it just tells you that he it, perhaps he's just, he just doesn't have it in him no. to interact or uh, interact with voters, win them over, or, or dare I say, even interact with them in a polite way, because I thought he was quite rude. Oh, he's um, very rude. That, and very arrogant, very condescending, and completely and utterly, um, you know, as they would as they would say in the woke world, tone deaf. Mm, no, absolutely, and I, I think the more gen- more generally, I think he really has got his work cut out. But if I'm being completely honest, I just do not think, as I said, the central challenge for the Labour Party is to reconnect with the pro Brexit, with its pro Brexit former traditional heartlands, mm. and he's simply not the man to spearhead that task. But presumably the battle now is for control of the party. Now, whether or not the Corbynistas think they've got a chance of getting it back or whether the sort of Rachel Reeves, Blairite types think it's for them to move it more to the centre, what do you reckon is going to happen? Well, I, I think they're all wrong, if I'm, be, <laughs> if I'm, if I'm being completely honest. Right. I think what you have there where there's that sort of wishy-washy technocratic Blairism, you have the tribal identity politics, which is associated with Corbynism, and you have that detached uh, pro-Remain cosmopolitan liberalism, which is associated with the Starmerites. None of them are well positioned to take on the task of rebuilding Labour's relationship with its traditional heartlands in Northern England, in the Midlands, and to be honest, even winning pro-Brexit voters that used to vote Labour but might not anymore in the cities, mm. none of them are well positioned to do so. So for me, the, the, these election results, I remember, uh, Mike, when it came to the last general election, we were talking about how Labour is the party now that loses seats like Blythe Valley, yeah. uh, but gains seats like Putney. Yes. Now it gains, you know, it, 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 it makes gains in places um, in Oxfordshire, like Chipping Norton, it loses control of um, Durham, Durham County Council. And it's completely, when it comes to those provincial market towns, which we used to see as bellwethers in yes. Middle England, they're falling well behind mm. the Conservative Party. Yeah, and they may well fall behind the Greens soon in some places. In Bristol, the Greens were doing pretty well. And, you know, it looks it looks bad for them all over the place. I mean, you can't imagine them opening up the old working men's club down in Putney, can you? Down on the shores of the Thames there, you know? No, and I think I, I think we Bring shouldn't ignore the fact that the yeah, and I think we shouldn't ignore the fact that the Green Party has had has had an impressive time of yeah. it. Yeah, I know. Extraordinary. Good stuff. Well, listen, Rakeem, as ever, great to talk to you. Dr. Rakeem Hassan, independent expert, British public attitude. Pretty sure there that more or less the Labour Party uh, as a political force is done for. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. And it is that time of the week to say a very good morning to Mr. Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you? Morning. I've just uh, managed to get to London despite all the trains being cracked. Yes, I mean, uh, it does worry me slightly, this, that uh, they don't seem to be able to now even make trains in Japan properly. These are Japanese trains, aren't they? Well, I think the Japanese design, I think they're, they're made or certainly assembled in County Durham, but right. the, the, I think the, the real problem is the usual one of the, of the country created by Margaret Thatcher, who licensed ambulance-chasing lawyers in Britain, uh, in which everybody is terrified of being sued. 
and therefore acts with complete and utter panic whenever the slightest problem arises. Mm. And these are not aeroplanes. If they've got cracks in them, they're not going to, they're going to fall apart at 50,000 feet. Uh, they, they travel on rails. But there it is. I, it, it's, it, it's happened. Those of us who travel by rail side as we usually do and said oh, okay then <laughs> so so, are there, so uh, are there any trains are there any trains running at all or did you have to take a bus are, or there are there are some non-crack trains it just involves uh, taking slower trains and changing on on the way mm. usually but it, it can be done if you're determined i for a long time regarded the railways as an enemy to be defeated and so every, every time i beat them i feel a sense <laughs> of triumph yeah, I mean, I was once beaten. I was going to, for some god awful reason, which I, I regret for the rest of time. I went to Centre Parks once up near uh, ah, Cambridge, yeah. and I tried to get from Kings tried to get from Kings Cross to Cambridge. And I kid you not, it was probably the most difficult and arduous journey I've ever made. And that includes driving um, from Split down to Sarajevo during the Bosnian War. Goodness. I mean, it was awful. I, I ended up giving up and taking a taxi because I took one train, uh, which was so crowded, I couldn't literally couldn't sit down even on the floor. Um, that stopped at somewhere like Ely, where the next train I was meant to get was cancelled. Um, the next train I then tried to get, I couldn't get on because apparently I was too late to try and get on it. And the man stopped me at the barrier. You know, it was just it was a sort of litany of absolute madness. So I, have, I take my hat off to you if you do it on a regular basis. Yeah, I, the whole the whole the whole business of, of trains in this country has been a, a, a catastrophe for many years. Since the government regards the only form of transport it really cares about as roads and cars, mm. and trains come a hopeless second and, and also very heavily uh, indirectly taxed as a result. Like people, the, the 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 government dare not raise the fuel tax on uh, on petrol uh, because of the political consequences of it. So one of the things it does is it constantly raises rail fares. Mm. Uh, so Rail travellers are pretty much expected to pay for themselves. A huge subsidy is given to drivers because the government is afraid of, of actually doing anything about our transport system, mm. which would get people back onto sensible public transport. Yeah. So there you are. It's, it is, I'm afraid, the country which invented railways will probably be uh, one of the countries which eventually ceases to operate them in any effective yeah. way. Well, that's right. I think Simon Calder once told me that we're subsidising them to the tune of something like a million pounds an hour or something ridiculous like that. But uh, let's let's move to another forward transport, which, of course, they are also encouraging, the electric scooter I saw you wrote about today. And this rather nicely dovetails with, with Angela Rayner and the whole shambles of the Labour Party, because uh, you had a picture of her on one of these things. Yes, yeah, so she was she was in Bristol during the during the campaign and, and with the, the mayor of Bristol. Uh, and both of them were pictured uh, whizzing along uh, through a, a park, doing something which in most parts of the country would be illegal mm. because electric scooters are motor vehicles and they're allowed on, on, on cycle tracks or footpaths in paths and they're not allowed pavements. Mm. But all over the country at the moment, supposed experiments are taking place uh, where these, these scooters are being made available and the laws are being effectively suspended so people can ride them in ways they wouldn't be. I'm not quite sure what this is about. Uh, who, who wanted this? What uh, what gap in our transport system does it fill to have an electric scooter that wasn't there already? And the, the fantastic nonsense talked about how environmental they are. Mm. Batteries, which they run on, have to be charged. Mm. The power which charges the batteries will almost certainly be polluting power, as so much is, uh, whether it's gas power or, um, or, or, or indeed whether it's imported from the Netherlands or, or France, it might be, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous to say that they don't pollute just as they emit plumes of smoke as they go along. And the batteries that are used in them contain rare metals, which often have to be dug out of the earth in extremely distressing mm. circumstances, uh, particularly in Africa. 
So I, I don't think there's any ethical reason for them. I don't imagine for a moment anyone who's licensed to drive a car and owns a car is going to abandon a car to whiz about the streets on a totally unprotected lump of metal. Mm. Uh, and, and the other consequence is that they are increasingly appearing on pavements and on footpaths. They're supposed to be limited to about 15 miles an hour, but everybody who has them uh, knows perfectly well that it's quite easy to fix that so they can travel a lot faster. Yeah. And only last week in Feltham, a three-year-old child was quite badly injured by being hit by one from behind. And uh, two collarbones broken. A three-year-old child walking with his grandmother. And I think Paris, which licensed them some years ago, had similar experiences, some of them quite tragic. And the signs are all there that if they are allowed, people are going to find very quickly that, that they hate them. Mm. But I can't see any sign of any serious opposition to them. And you see politicians like Angela Rayner, who, whatever you think of her, is an engaging person uh, riding around on one. And that's a tremendous coup for the mm. public relations people who are pursuing legalization. I just wish people wouldn't do this. Uh, actors do it too in television dramas uh, you see it all the time fashionable people somehow or other riding scooters mm. about the place how this happens i don't know but i do wish people would think about it a bit more and i really wish that other media would take more would pay more attention to this now uh, rather than running hundreds of stories three or four years from now about pedestrians and children yeah. and old people and blind people and deaf people being injured and, and in, indeed killed by them and say, well, how on earth did we ever allow this to happen? How, yes. How we? Because we didn't pay attention now. So pay attention now. Yes, exactly right. But also it's like everything else um, in our society at the moment. You know, if you want to be seen to be cool, you have to be seen to be in favour of all sorts of things like electric scooters. And obviously you and I clearly not cool. I'm quite happy not to be cool. Um, but that, that's what, you know, we're left with in the media now. You know, people will no doubt be writing columns even as we speak about how great these things are and how he bought one this weekend and had a great time riding it around. You know, that's what we're faced with. Well, it's possible. Uh, I, I am, of course, the opposite of cool and proud of it. But I, I don't actually think that the claims of, of these machines to be cool stand up to examination. Mm. They, they are another form of polluting dangerous motorized transport which we simply don't need mm. the other thing about this what what the people who are using would otherwise be walking or cycling which are beneficial riding on electric machines whether actually e-scooters or bicycles mm. does not provide you with the exercise which, which which benefits your health and half the point of encouraging cycling and walking is that it's good for people mm. sitting on a standing on a on a metal platform and, and, and twisting a grip as you whiz along and uh, 15 or indeed 40 miles an hour is not exercise and nor as i say is it is it is it non-polluting uh, and the question about the batteries really does need to be yes. answered oh no i think you're absolutely right but let's talk about angela rayner a little bit because you know keir starmer has managed to sort of bore everybody into submission um as much as i don't particularly like angela rayner's politics you're right she is much more engaging as a personality She'd probably make a much better leader um, but he, of course, has decided that it's a good idea to kick her out of the job that she was in uh, and thinks it's a better idea to get rid of Annalisa Dodds, which is probably OK. But, I mean, it's a real shambles, the Labour Party right now, isn't it? I mean, when you look back on what it used to be. Well, it has to be a shambles because the, 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 the main purpose of the Labour Party, which is the imposition of Blairism on the country, uh, has been taken over by the Tory party. Mm. And how can the Labour Party oppose the Tory party when it is doing pretty much what Blairism would have done? And the great breach, of course, is is the the referendum and the decision of the, of the majority of the people in this country to leave the European Union. And that had many effects on the Labour Party, one of them being it released lots of Labour Party members uh, from their allegiance to their old party. They suddenly realised they didn't have to vote for it. 
And that's created some political confusion. It's also created a sort of populist uh, type of conservatism, which looks as if it is uh, the moral and socially conservative position which I adopt. But in my view is not. This is mostly slogans. Mm. And I don't think it really adds up to very much. But it is confusing people a great deal. Examine the detailed long-term policies of the Labour Party, whether it be on education or taxation or, or, or crime and punishment or any of the major issues of our time, you'll find that it's, it's following the, almost exactly the same route uh, that the Labour Party did under, 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 under Blair in the, in the 1990s, the yeah. early part of the century. Uh, but it, the European thing has confused it immensely. How this will all end, I really don't know. Uh, but it, what, what is definitely the case is that we no longer have a clear division between the major parties. No. Uh, as a result, personalities and slogans uh, create an impression of a division which doesn't really exist. I remember the people of Hartlepool voted rather astonishingly for Peter Mandelson, yeah. the, least, the least northern person in the country, probably, uh, because he was put up by the Labour Party. Uh, they've now switched their allegiance, but allegiances have just become so much softer. Mm. Uh, and look at Scotland, where the Labour Party, having, which thought it owned Scotland, it collapsed in a matter of months. Yeah. Well, this is, this is what I found interesting about what happened on Thursday, that we seem to have now the main opposition being to the Tory party, actually the SNP in Scotland and possibly the Labour Party in Wales. But in England, it's more or less a one-party state now, isn't it? Well, it's even weirder than that. I live in Oxford, and in Oxfordshire, not far from me, the town of Chipping Norton has gone Labour. And the, uh, the, <laughs> the Oxfordshire County Council has, uh, has, uh, has chucked out uh, the, the Tory majority. It's now in uh, overall control. So while... Uh, while Johnson is sweeping Hartlepool, uh, he's losing Oxfordshire. You, I can't really explain that at all no. in terms of national politics. I suspect there's a lot of discontent among rural Tories about the Conservative Party's determination to compete over the country and to, to destroy the old planning laws, which, which they used to feel protected. And I suspect that may have something yeah. to do with it. But well, for Labour to capture Chipping Norton, it's, it, it, it really is... Uh, quite like the Tories capturing Liverpool. Well, that's right. But that's the Putney Labour, isn't it, the manoeuvre? The, the, the one seat that they won back in 2019 was Putney. And you think, well, that's a bit weird. You know, they lost Blythe Valley, which was a former coal mining community, uh, which shut down by Margaret Thatcher, and they all voted for the Tories. And I wonder whether the... Uh, I had a conversation with a caller last week who said that traditional Tories are now not very happy with Boris Johnson and the way that he's taking the party to the left and more into the centre and more into the greener areas. Um, but actually, old Labour voters are very happy to vote Tory because of Brexit. I think that is the, the, the defining thing. And then, of course, why is it that, that, that this is so? Why are Labour voters now taking this view? But it, 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 what interests me is where it will end. Uh, at the moment, uh, people are still going through a, a phase of enthusiasm mm. for the Conservative Party. Similar to, but not as great as the one that they went through for, for, for New Labour at the, mm. the end of the last century. But they were disappointed in, in, in major ways by that. Uh, when these people are disappointed, as I absolutely promise you they will be, where will they then turn? That's mm. what must worry us. Yeah. I think in, in Germany, for instance, with the, the equivalent of the Labour Party of Social Democrats are rapidly being supplanted by other parties of the left, particularly the Greens. Yeah. And I think that's a very considerable possibility here, too, in, 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 in perhaps in the next 20 years, that the Greens may become the, the most significant left-wing party in England, at least. Yes. And that will change things a lot. 
Yeah, I think it will. Because looking at the map of um, of these mayor, mayoral races, because I was going to ask you if you could tell me uh, what the point is of having a mayor for West Yorkshire, which doesn't appear to be a city. It appears to be a collection of different councils, a collection of different towns uh, and cities, including Leeds and Kirklees. Um, but in almost every single mayoral race, apart from, I think, Tees, Teesside and the West Midlands, Labour are winning those. Um, and now they're going to change the way that those votes are actually done so that the Tories might win more of them. But this is seemingly where the Labour Party seems to have strength. Well, maybe. It seems to be a new layer of jobs for the boys as well. That mm. the, the, what's certainly changed in local government since I used to be a, a, a newspaper reporter on the Sunday Evening Advertiser was more and more uh, local government politicians are being paid, if it's called allowances. And in some cases, of course, these, these mayors are actually salaried. Mm. So a new and larger political class is being created. But what interests me about this is that it's also yet another attempt to try and get people to be interested in local government, uh, which they ceased to be when the, the old authorities were destroyed in the 1970s, which people understood. I, I knew uh, when I lived in Oxford in the 1960s and 1970s, everything was run by the Oxford County Borough Council. And that was the one place you went to. Now, education is one lot, transport's another, uh, the parks is another. Uh, you, you don't even know where to go when you elect a council. You're not even sure which bit of it they're, they're, actually, they're actually in charge of. It's, it's almost impossible to, to get a handle on it. Ever since the great local government reforms of 50 years ago, the number of people interested in and understanding local government has declined. And, and as a result, it's become, of course, less and less accountable because people don't know who to go to, which is mm. one of the reasons why MPs get so much... Uh, so much demand for their time sorting out problems which are really local government ones. It has been a disaster, and this doesn't seem to me to make it any better, but I think jobs for the boys must Mm. always be the the most likely reason for the creation of these new jobs. Yeah, and they also seem to also have, and I think it's true in the case of uh, West Yorkshire, they have responsibility for the the Police and Crime Commission as well, which, again, is something entirely new, um, which doesn't appear to have had any impact whatsoever on crime. Well, again, it was a soft. I don't see. I don't, I, I don't see how it would. Like, what What was important about the, the police force was it, before Roy Jenkins got his hands on it in the nineteen sixties was that it was local. Mm. Yeah, no, reasonably sized cities had their own police forces, which needed to respond to to popular demand, and they couldn't get away with what they do now of just ignoring huge amounts of crime, uh, burglary, and car theft, or whatever it was, and, co- and concentrating on suing each other for sexual harassment or whatever it is they do. Mm. Uh, the because the, the police forces were closer to the ground, they were smaller, and they were therefore more responsive. And I don't think the elected police and crime commissioners have made any difference to that at all. No, I don't think they have. Let's talk finally about Jonty Bravery. You revisited that case um, yeah. this week, and you're still puzzled as to why nobody's getting worked up about it. Well, it's a, it, there, there is, you read the papers carefully, and you'll see, I'm afraid, a, a, an alarming number of cases in which people who are clearly uh, not in full possession of their faculties do terrible things to other people in the street and in parks and on, 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 on tube stations. Mm. And this has been going on for, for many years now. And it, it, there's a kind of hesitation about it because we're, it, it's supposed to be stigmatizing the mentally ill to suggest that, that this might be the case. But I, I do think it really needs to be examined, particularly because uh, I believe uh, that the correlation between the increasing use of marijuana, which is, has effectively been decriminalized in this country, and the growth of mental illness is so serious that it really is time it was examined. I asked about, uh, about bravery. Uh, first of all, what was it that he'd been taking? The official report on him says he'd been taking medication. Mm. It doesn't mm. say what. 
And no one could tell me, because apparently he's still entitled to medical confidentiality, despite having been locked up for throwing mm. a tile off the top of a high building. He still has medical confidentiality for some reason. Uh, but also, I wondered how it was that he had become unhinged in the first place. Mm. And given that, you will find, I'm afraid, uh, schoolchildren of uh, now probably 9, 10, 11, smoking strong cannabis, uh, it wouldn't be a great surprise to find that this might have been part of his life. But no one's interested. It's not investigated. Last week, the Irish College of Psychiatrists uh, said, which I don't think you'll find the British psychiatric body uh, saying, that uh, that uh, marijuana use is, uh, it, again, a major threat to mental health and something they were really concerned about. Mm. Why is this not discussed? Are there just too many self-interested people who have at some time used this drug or let their children use it or are simply deluded about it, thinking it harmless? They will not accept that it's time we had an inquiry into whether it's doing serious social damage. Well, and anybody who doubts, doubts this, I mean, they, they, they just need to go uh, to a, a, a website called Attack of Smoke Cannabis run by a friend of mine called Ross Granger who combs local newspaper reports daily for cases in which really quite violent offences uh, turnouts have been committed by people who are long-term marijuana users. Mm. And it's astonishing how many of them there are. Okay, it may be a complete coincidence. Uh, I'm a great coincidence theorist myself, but yes. I would wish. Well, because it may well be as well. I mean, there, yeah, I mean, there are probably many more people who are regular users of cannabis who do not commit violent crime as well. So that would, I guess, be their argument. But certainly... Well, that, 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 that may well be so, but it... it uh, in, in general, a lot of a lot of people who who, who who drink don't drive while drunk, but does, that doesn't stop us having quite serious laws against driving mm. while drunk, and, and it, it nor does it stop us uh, trying as we, we we don't do as much as we should, in my view, uh, trying to control the consumption of alcohol. I personally would go back like a shot uh, to the the licensing laws which existed in this country until the mid nineteen eighties, until the Thatcher government got rid of them. Uh, which which greatly reduced the amount of, of alcohol consumption and indeed the amount of violence associated with it. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, the, there are some you people... You can't these things if you want a civilised society. There are some people who think the governments of Scotland, Wales and and England, in fact, have got a definite campaign going on against the selling of alcohol because uh, they're making it so difficult for people that run pubs to do so. Well, that, of course, but the, the, the one of the huge differences between now and the old licensing laws was, is the availability of alcohol in, in, in supermarkets, yeah. uh, which simply didn't exist. Mm. Before, those, before the laws were changed, it was pretty much, you, know, you bought it an off-license, and it was quite difficult to get it. It was not impossible. Anybody who was really determined to get a drink could do it. Yeah. But there was, it did result in, in less... Uh, for instance, domestic violence. Mm. No question of it. And I would say less street violence as well. We're a much less peaceful country mm. in the streets of our towns on Friday and Saturday nights than we were when those laws operated. No, that's true. And I mean, you do see, and I'm not a, a, an advocate for, for, for kind of, you know, controlling what people buy, but you do see far more people loading up their shopping carts with crates and crates of it, as opposed to a bottle or two. You know, it's a sort of, it's a box of wine or it's a, you know, 24 pack cans of, uh, of beer. Because that's what people do now. They buy everything well, in bulk. Well, why wouldn't they? Also, the prices in the pubs and the bars are quite high. So there is this, we know this, this uh, habit of preloading before people go out. So yes. they're already uh, pretty much near the limit uh, before they even go out. It's, just, it's cheaper. And mm. cheapness and availability make a difference. Yes. Who uh, can doubt it? But it, the examination of that period in the 1980s when, uh, when the licensing laws were, were just got rid of, uh, would be, I think, very revealing to find out who was lobbying whom and what, yes. uh, what 
was going on. Yes, I think so. Final word on uh, May the 17th, which is a, a week today, uh, when apparently uh, you'll be allowed to hug someone if you so wish. Yes, well, again, uh, <laughs> to live in a country where one needs government permission to hug someone is, 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 is to me, a humiliation. Yes, I, I, it is. It's shocking, isn't it? Permission to behave as normal human beings. Yeah, it really is quite extraordinary. Well, listen, have a good week, Peter. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens there from the Mail on Sunday. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Mark Dolan, who, of course, is Talk Radio's superb drive-time presenter. Mark, a very good uh, morning to you. Hello, Mike. I can't wait for a pint at yes. a uh, right-wing pub. Yeah, I know, the Fox and Tice. I mean, could you, did, I don't know if you noticed over the weekend how worked up people were getting about the idea uh, of going into a place that only served British food. And it was that old rubbish about, well, of course, you know that fish and chips was imported from Portugal. Uh, and it was uh, people in the East End uh, from the Jewish uh, religion who came up with the idea of putting fish with chips. And, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, somehow chicken tikka masala is, is the world's favourite dish and it's Britain's favourite dish, but it's not British. I mean, what's wrong with these people? Well, it's bizarre. I mean, curry is British because we are part of the Commonwealth and our relationship with countries like India is what makes Britain great. And our enormous population of second generation Indian families in the UK is just phenomenal. And therefore, every time you eat a curry, you're celebrating diversity and you're celebrating Britain. You're you're being patriotic. Yes. Um, And, and, you know, it's very ironic. I mean, the the Richard Tice video was fantastic. I heard the interview live when it went out. Uh, This is a guy who simply represents how millions of people feel in this country. And uh, I've got to be honest with you, we've got a prime minister who also gets Mm. it, you know, and that's why he keeps winning elections. I mean, remind yourself that on Super Thursday, the government took a seat that's been in Labour control for decades. Um, Governments don't win by elections, Mike. Uh, And the reason why it's working for Boris is not because he's perfect, because we know he ain't, but those people, those millions of people feel heard. It's the same reason they listen to talk radio. And it's the same reason why they be, they'll be queuing up 
to go into Richard Tice's pub. <laughs> it's absolutely right. And, of course, by the time he gets his hands on this pub, there'll be hugging going on uh, absolutely with, a, with, with gay abandon, for want of a better phrase. People will be hugging yeah. each other right, left and centre. But is it not ridiculous when you see this? The front page of the Daily Mail, a, hu- a huge hug for Britain, where people are actually discussing today, and I didn't want to do it, and I'm not suggesting for a moment you're not a serious man, Mark, because we know you're a very serious man, <laughs> but what I didn't want to do was to get some sort of mealy mouth doctor on to talk to us about, you know, how dangerous it might be to hug in the wrong way. I actually heard somebody this morning describing how to hug safely with a straight face, right? Apparently you have to come in from the side um, and not be too close to the mouth of the other person that you're hugging. And also you must not stay anywhere near them for more than a minute. So not only do you have to hug them sideways, but you have to time it so it doesn't go over 60 seconds. Any conversation about hugging is a sick dystopian joke. (laughs) We are living in an episode of, of that sci-fi comedy, Black Mirror. Yes. Which I think it was created by Charlie Brooker. And every every episode of that show involves some sort of weird George Orwell yes. type nightmare. Well, welcome to 2021, Mike. It's not fiction anymore. It is and, incredible, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're even discussing it seems to me to be remarkable. Yeah. Well, correct. And it reflects the amazing overreach of the COVID measures it's it's very clear now that the case for lockdown is crumbling and the fact that it's reached the point where we're having a conversation about who or who we don't hug and touch is ridiculous a lot of people are excited about monday the 17th with a sort of semi unlock i'm not excited mike and i don't care i'm sick of it i've got to like go through with a fine tooth comb exactly what the latest rules are Mm. about how many people i can meet outside how many people can i can go inside with can i handshake someone can i hug them do i do i fist pump um am i allowed to be intimate with anyone other than mrs dolan i think mrs dolan would give you an answer for that one yeah yeah that we've been in lockdown (laughs) within the dolan household for more than a year mike i'll be honest with you but that's another story look it's it's too much it's ridiculous when we look back on this, we will wonder what we were thinking, Mike. Uh, in my view, uh, you know, there's an argument now that this has been the biggest cock up in history. Yeah. We, by the time we've got to the, the borrowing, OK, you're looking at a trillion quids because the borrowing is not exclusive to mm. this calendar year. It's going to continue for the next couple of years as we as we deal with the, the fallout from that. What would a, a trillion quids worth of investment done in public health? How many more lives would you have saved? Mm. And now we're talking about hugs. I mean, my concern, Mike, is that the bill has not come in yet for this pandemic. The financial bill, the human bill and the health bill. Mm. So, you know, this I mean, the hugging is a sideshow. In the end, uh, we've got to unlock. We've got to get back to normal. I will, however, forgive everything, Mike, if we fully unlock on the 21st of June and never do this again. I I now, on national radio, on your incredible show with your millions of listeners, pledge that I will forgive all if we fully unlock and never do this again. Because what I'm really worried about, Mike, is that we now have the apparatus, Mm. the infrastructure with which to continue to control people's lives forever. And that's what we're now fighting for. Yes, and we're also, uh, we've allowed these kind of um, scientists, for want of a better word, into the business of policy making, where they're going around telling us how dangerous everything is. And it may well be that they think it's dangerous. It may well be that there are things that are dangerous. And yes, we might even take a chance every now and again and and do something dangerous because that's what being alive is all about. And I mean, I was in a pub on Friday, right? 
everyone who was queuing up for the toilet was queuing up inside the pub, which you're not supposed to do, and they were queuing up around the bar where you're not supposed to stand, but where else are they going to go? And the point is, is I'm not having to go at the pub here because they're quite right to, to, to do that, but they might as well have been standing there having a drink. And the pubs Correct. now, which are open, uh, God bless them that they're making some money, and I'm very happy for them that they're making some money. You know, but many of them have got out- outdoor areas which might as well be indoor. They're so well covered, and their people are sitting so close together. It's not a problem. You know, one person died, I think, it's yesterday. It's not a problem. Um, and, you know, the whole idea that 73,000 people, as you saw over in Texas, were watching a boxing match um, yeah. over the weekend. Brilliant. None, of, none, Brilliant. Of the, none of them wearing masks, no social distancing. You know, forget about it, right? I'm praying that the governor of Florida becomes U.S. president, and I predict a golden era mm. for human history if somebody with that common sense gets in, mm. who who got rid of the COVID restrictions and saw cases fall. Right. Meanwhile, California is still in a state of emergency. Now, look, COVID is a wretched, nasty virus. It's it's an appalling virus, Mike. It's remarkably transmissible, and it's extremely deadly to a small proportion of the population. And it's incredibly, tragically sad globally what has happened. But it's just not up there as a threat to human health that deserves this level. No, of well, not now damage. that we've got a vaccine and, against it. Well, well, exactly. And, you know, the bottom line is that I've been pro, pro-vaccine since the start, Mike, and I've taken heat from it because you, you can imagine my position on these damaging uh, and life-destroying measures has won me support from people who are ultra skeptical about everything. Mm. And, you know, some of my some of the people that listen to our, our, our station and my show are, are, are kind of very worried about the vaccine. I'm pro vaccine because I think on balance of risk, it gets us out of this nightmare and it's clearly effective against the virus. But the reason why you can't be as pro all of the other um, measures, including lockdown, is that there is no definitive proof now. There's like, wow, no. that was a silver bullet that did it. And if you want to talk about danger and risk, Mike, I mean, here's a thought for you. Airborne HIV. Okay, does that worry you? No. I mean, no, the bottom line is that if if you had you had a virus like HIV, which was as transmissible as as COVID, my God, we'd all lock ourselves up. And it's just very, very important that we get a proportionate attitude to where the risk is from COVID. And as I say, never again. You know what I'm really worried about, Mike, is I'm worried about Boris is going to unlock and I think he's going to deliver for us and 21st of June will be Freedom Day. But I'm worried that corporations will continue with their measures. Mm. You know, I spoke to somebody that's getting married in the uh, autumn and the wedding venue said, oh, we're going to have masks for another year. So I wonder whether the government will free us, but corporations and also busybody citizens will keep this going. Well, then, you know what? If somebody said that to me and I was going to get married, I would say, well, we're not coming to your place to get married. Thanks very much, indeed. Cheerio. Uh, Enjoy the bankruptcy court because nobody's going to come and do it there. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.